This is Sarah Bordeaux, and you are listening to PodSAM, the podcast channel of SAM Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. On this episode, we're bringing you a huddle from our sister publication, Adventure Park Insider. This year, we were challenged like never before, both personally and professionally. We've learned a lot about what we're capable of and how resilient our businesses can be, but it was certainly hard fought. Despite the many challenges of operating during a pandemic, there have been several bright spots, operational wins, and even some banner weeks of business in July for some of our panelists. On this episode, we're diving into what worked and what didn't, lessons learned and what they will carry forward as permanent changes and thoughts on the future. Operators from around the U.S. joined our panel to share the good, the bad, and the silver linings of operating in 2020. We'll start the conversation off with some good news from Kurt Dameron, CEO of Highlands Aerial Park in North Carolina. Highlands has had their busiest July in history, setting records despite limited tours and a lack of staff. We start here with Kurt on why they may have had this level of success despite the challenges of this year. The thing that I think attributed greatly to uh, the rise in numbers was the the fact that uh, long-range travel was uh prohibited or inhibited. Um, and so just because of our geographical location, we're, we're kind of the closest mountains um, to central South Florida and even the Atlanta market. Um, so we're, we're a natural escape for those people that might only be, you know, one, two hours away. And then all those folks in Florida who normally would have vacation somewhere further away or jumped on a plane or whatever. Um, and then there's that whole, oh, we need to get to the mountains because COVID doesn't live there, um, you know, get that fresh air. Um, so I think all those things combined really, um, really kind of pushed the, uh, the demand over the top for us this summer. So tell us about the change in, in demographic that you saw, did you see a lot of new visitors? What, and what were their circumstances? Um, sounds like you grabbed a broader drive to market. And so you had a whole, you know, what percentage do you think was, was new customers to the, to the sport even, uh, not sport, to the activity? I, I would say that it didn't really change much. Um, we, we do have a great deal of repeat customers because we're in a vacation market, um, a very wealthy second home market. Um, so we do see a lot of those people repeat year after year, but the large majority of our business is first time. And it's just, like I said, people trying to escape the heat of Florida um, and get out of Metro Atlanta. Um, so I don't know that we really saw a big demographic shift or anything out of the norm um, with, in regards to that. It was just a, a, a bigger influx than usual, okay. which is surprising also because lodging was limited to 50% capacity in all these vacation markets in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really sure where all these people stayed, but they were here. <laughs> um, and you said uh, a win for you was your online advanced booking and that skyrocketed. Can you tell us a little bit what yeah. it was before COVID and and what you experienced during so uh i think uh, there's a combination of factors there um many of you guys know uh jeremiah and nate from blend um and we contracted with them about two years ago 
and um, they relaunched our website, um, which was a huge improvement for us. I mean, we saw our online bookings go up immediately after that. But this year, um, online bookings skyrocketed. And there's probably many reasons for that also. I think it's uh, a combination of people were just looking for something to do more so than normal, especially outdoor themed activities. Um, and there's not a whole lot of pay to play around here. I mean, any of you guys that live in the mountains know there's an abundance of outdoor free recreation. So national forests and hiking trails and the Appalachian Trail. Um, but to really go somewhere and get an experience, like a tailored experience, there's just not a whole lot of offerings. Pretty much in this whole area, we've got us and whitewater rafting on the Chattooga an hour and 15 minutes, you can be on the Nantahala, but other than that, that's about it. And you said you did some targeted marketing, and was that mm -hmm. something specific to what was going on this summer, and what yeah, was Some of it was. Um, we had some ads themed towards, um, you know, the fact that you've been at home, get outside and do something out of the, out of the ordinary or something that you've never done before. Um, we had incredible engagement on our targeted digital ads this year. Um, last time I looked at in July, just on our, our paid um, targeted advertising, we had upwards of 125,000 post engagements for the month of July. Um, and we try to interact with every single one of those, which is a daunting task. But I think the, uh, the more effort you put into that, the interaction with those who interact with your brand, the, the better it pays off. Yeah. Um, and um, another thing I thought was interesting, you said when you started in May and June, very few wore masks. Now, now what do you see yeah. as far as masks? Yeah. So we, um, we, we went with uh, a half bandana style face covering that's branded. It's got, you know, our tagline and logo and stuff on it which I know, I know that's probably, you know, there's research coming out saying that it's the least effective uh, of the face coverings, but it was better than nothing and it complied with mandates. Um, so just to give you an idea, we, before we reopened um, in March, right after the lockdown, as, as we rolled into phase two, we ordered 2000 of those and we went through those probably in about a, probably four to six week period. Uh, just because no one showed up wearing a mask. Um, and it was a really kind of difficult um, a situation that you had to handle. It was a delicate situation because we had people all over the spectrum. We had people in the 100% dedicated no mask camp and then people on the other end that would leave you a bad review if they saw their guide's face covering slip down below their nose at some point on the tour. So it was like a lose-lose situation there for a while. Uh, but as the summer progressed and um, the mandates became more widely accepted, um, and I think the public just kind of got generally more educated or at least more compliant, whether or not they agreed with it, I think most of the businesses were, especially in the touristy areas, were very committed to making sure that all their patrons did wear a face covering. Um, so as, you know, as we went into July, we started to see the number of people that were not wearing a face mask decline to the point where by mid-July, 
I'd say 95% of all everyone that showed up had at least had their face covering if they weren't wearing it and knew they may have to pull it out of their pocket or run to the car. Nice. And so thinking about, you know, the, the things that were wins this year were that, you know, is there anything carrying forward that you learned about your business that you would want to keep, keep going with something that you tried, something that you had to do that ended up working really well or some resilience you didn't know that you'd like to keep going with? That is a tough question. Um, you might have to give me a minute to think about that. Okay. One. So well, something that came out of the whole COVID situation that was kind of a lesson learned that we would like to carry into yeah, the future. Well, and it, it could be as small as, you know, gloves. I keep hearing everybody's the one of the little silver linings was glove sales and that, that will be, you know, going forward easily. Um, something that will stay on, you know, buying the, the disposable gloves. Yeah, I was really surprised. So we, we gave nitrile gloves complimentary and they were mandatory to wear as a sanitary liner since we're an active participation or self-break course. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really surprised at how few people took advantage of the, um, the kind of extra stuff we offered like head coverings or buy your own leather gloves. I mean, we probably sold less than a dozen pairs of gloves over the summer. So maybe it, maybe it's a geographical difference. I'm not really sure. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'll think about that question. Maybe okay. I can answer well, that before. Thanks, Kurt. And we'll, we will definitely come back to You're you. Welcome. You know, um, this is Rick from uh, Adventure Park Insider. A lot of what you're talking about um, is similar to what we've been hearing from some of the winter resorts. There's a, a group in that world um, a group of um, sort of travel marketing experts that pool their talents and call themselves the Insights Collective. And they have done a lot of research on a lot of these kind of trends. One of the things they've been uh, tracking is that um, the drive market has expanded. With mm-hmm. people not being able to fly, the, you know, the average car, you know, drive market was maybe um, 500 mile radius and it's gone to 600 in a lot of markets. So that's something that's a, a very general trend. Um, a lot of resorts have seen the same sort of trend that you saw with wearing masks and the acceptance of masks. And I think what, what the collective has really said is um, your guests really have to feel comfortable with what you're doing. So, you know, if that means masks, then that's sort of what you, you have to do. But that's what it's yeah. going to take to get them to come and then to even return. We also saw from our discussion yesterday with our folks, our, our resort friends in the Southern Hemisphere, especially the folks in New Zealand, that um, they've seen a huge influx um, into their resorts because all the people who used to take a summer vacation abroad were told, you can't leave New Zealand. Or if you do, you can't come back. So everyone was taking vacations more locally and were discovering the mountains there. So they saw a big increase in their local business and they think they're going to be able to continue that. I don't know if you feel the same way about the drive market you've been able to tap this year, but I think that's something that uh, adventure parks really can look at and, and maybe learn from. And the, outdoor, the outdoor industry, um, the, the broader outdoor industry, has already started to identify all these people who are new to the outdoors and they're identifying messaging and signage 
um, an outreach to get them to the next level and the next level and trying to invite them into the things that we offer in, in uh, the outdoors, our activities, the mountains and all that. So, um, yeah, I think it is a trend, Rick, that we should be aware of. And there, there may be a way to capture some of this interest from uh, new folks to the outdoor world um, and moving ahead with that. Yeah, the, the last thing I would point out is that the resorts have seen a really good acceptance of online advanced booking, which has not been the case in the winter resort business. People a lot of times just walk up and buy their ticket on the spot. Um, but this summer, whether it's um, resorts in, the, in North America where people have been booking in advance for summer activities or in the Southern hemisphere where skiers have been booking in advance, everyone has been sort of shocked at how quickly people adapted to that. And they're all committed to saying, we don't ever want to go back to um, just selling stuff when people show up at the air. We, we want to encourage people to stay with this advanced booking. And that's something they're really going to push hard. So let's move on to Rachel Master Haley, who's with Zipline. She's a Zipline Canopy Tour Manager at Zora Outdoor. Um, Rachel, you and I talked. Just tell us a little bit about your operation so we're familiar with it. And, um, and then a little bit about, you know, what capacity you're running at right now and how it's going. Sure. Okay. So um, Zora Outdoor is originally a um, rafting company. We have Royal Water Rafting, um, Guided Kayak Tours, and the Zipline Canopy Tour. We're in our 12th, 12th year um, for the Zipline at Zor. Um, and so far, we've been running at about 50 to 60% capacity. Um, which for us, we were um, pretty excited to open in phase one in Massachusetts. Um, it gave us a chance to really, you know, dig in and as the canopy tour set some standards for um, more of the, the whitewater side of the world. Um, as it turned out, whitewater operations were able to um, adopt some of the protocol that we had taken on as the canopy tour and, and in the sense of how we run our tours and um, in what time lengths we send people out in time variables. Um, so it was helpful for us to kind of start ahead of whitewater rafting, which opened in a later phase in Massachusetts. Um, so, so far so good. Yeah, we're, we're running at about, um, typically the max capacity would be 16 trips per day for zip. So about 130 people or so. Um, whereas right now in um, the phase that we're currently in, it's more like six trips midweek, so 48 people, um, and closer to 80 on the weekend. So um, we've had to do a little bit of limiting trips here um, in order to, to meet the demand. Um, and we're in a constant state of, of training people, cross-training people from other departments kind of all the time to be able to meet the demand for zipping. How, how has, and that's an interesting, you, on the, our call, you talked about the cross-training and the need for that. Um, was that because you were understaffed or because the worry of people getting sick or um, what was the, had you done cross training in prior seasons or was it really something you started this year that, that you'll keep going with? Yeah, so we, we've done cross training in previous seasons, but typically as a way to um, add additional work to the guide schedules um, and a way for us to um, train guides at multiple levels of the company. You know, they, we want to be able to give them a chance to guide in the trees and on the river and um, whatever it might look like for them is another way for them to take on more leadership. Uh, this year, we're relying on cross-training uh, in addition to our regular trainings as a way to 
meet the demand as um, our guides of college age start to go back to school, um, while also meeting what seems to be an increase in demand for um, parents and families and things that are um, normally around this time of year, they'd be trying to get in that one last vacation before the kids go back to school. Um, now it looks like some families are doing that, and in addition, they're also looking for alternatives to, or additions to homeschooling and curriculum. Um, so it looks as though we'll be pulling um, and training additional Whitewater staff this year um, and office staff as well, if possible, um, to be able to meet some of that demand. We also had um, quite a few staff because unemployment was quite generous here in, in Massachusetts that um, originally we thought we would have more staff returning and then it sort of turned out um, that we were starting with fewer guides than we had originally counted on. Yeah, so it's, it's we've been chasing the, the staffing a little bit this season. Yeah. yeah. And do you think that, that had you not had to chase so much, um, how do you think you would have I mean, because you're still restricted with capacity, but you still had room to get more guides in to meet more of the capacity? Mm -hmm. the yeah, overall, I mean, we've done a nice job at, at meeting what, what the demand has been. Um, and I think because the guides are so invested as uh, invested in Zora as a company, they've been willing to pick up a lot of that slack and put in the extra hours and do the extra training runs. Um, it For us, you know, staff morale is, is a big deal. So, you know, we have... Um, events that we try and host and various virtual check-ins that we've been doing over the course of the season to help keep the culture strong in our guide pool. Um, but having more staff with the demand that we have now would have been, um, I think, just a little more, you know, um, emotionally and physically viable for everyone. Uh, they've done a really nice job, though, of, of making it happen, for sure. You said that, that part of what helped was that, they, that there was just this inherent um, culture that were helping and what we're doing we're offering something that's healthy and you said that kind of resonated with your staff without you even having to work at it they felt that they were doing something good for people that desperately needed that yeah help. absolutely yeah as as we were looking at um we had um a role in the state advisory board for setting the COVID 19 protocol and as we were thinking about how to train to this we said well you know our guides are, are so great in the sense that they're really technicians at what they do. You know, we operate out of a series of um, standard operating procedure, local operating procedure, industry-wide procedure, and this COVID protocol is just another level of that. Um, so treating our COVID-19 protocol um, as though it were part of our regular system, the guides were, were very much um, aligned with that. You know, they just sort of understood that um, additional PPE was part of the deal. Um, and they were more than happy to um, welcome in new staff that had questions about that. Um, in addition, what was really kind of interesting and, and very cool is that because the demand was there, people are hungry to be outside, um, whatever that might look like, right? Um, pay for play has really offered a way for us to have people be outside in a way that's regulated. Um, and the guides really felt like, you know, they were doing a service to human beings that just wanted to be outside by protecting them from the inherent risk of, of um, COVID by following those protocol. Did you see um, a change? Did you see new customers coming in who had never tried zipping or rafting? Did you see a, a lot of a, a change in demographic who was showing up? Did you see anything along those lines that yeah. might? Yeah, what was, what was actually really amazing and one of the things that 
you know, 2020 has been the year of, of sort of the great reveal. You know, we're seeing a lot of systems that, that work and a lot of systems that don't work. And, and one of the things that we saw as a positive was um, we saw an increase in diversity in our county because people from other locations were coming in to um, both participate in our activities at Zor and um, Berkshire East and Catamount, but also for um, access to tubing on the Deerfield River. Um, so we talked a lot about how to be, um, to set up another layer of diversity, equity, and inclusion for these new folks coming in and what it might look like for us to welcome them into our county. So um, in a lot of ways, that was really exciting for us um, to see the increase not only in our commercial programming, but just in our, in Berkshire and Franklin County as well. Yeah. Well, and as I said, um, the outdoor industry, and you may already be aware, they're, they are jumping on this idea of um, welcoming a whole new audience and demographics, um, you know, diversity, inclusion. They, they're, they're coming out with all kinds of ways to grab a hold of these people and pull them in closer. So Absolutely. Mm -hmm. connect our boots up here. Um, and then one last question I had was, um, you had said, and maybe I got this wrong on our call, but you had said that couples were left out and I missed what it was like on the tours with how you had to kind of group the bubbles together and, and the, your one insight was couples kind of, um, what did you mean by that? I so essentially what we did in a way to all of our trips were regulated as such that only family groups or like trusted family groups or quarantine families were um, scheduled together. Whereas typically on commercial tours in previous years, we've been able to pull groups of multiple families and things together. Mm -hmm. um, so on a, on a zipline trip of eight people, we would see, you know, the four Girl Scouts and the two grandmas and we'd see the, um, you know, the two people on their second date on the same tour. Mm -hmm. um, this year, because we decided not to mix groups as a way to um, minimize the risk, we had to set some group minimums around um, uh, being able to efficiently run the tours both midweek and on the weekends. Um, so our mi our midweek limit was um, a minimum of three people, and then same thing on the weekends, minimum of four. Um, so it did for our couples. You know, for the most part, we we were able to book them in the start of our season, so April and May. Um, as it started to get into the peak season, though, um, what we did offer for our couples was essentially if they wanted to bring two other people to meet the minimum on the weekend, or if they wanted to buy out those seats, they were welcome to do so. Um, we were just trying to look at a way to both have them feel included um, and also run the trips as efficiently and as safely as possible. That's interesting. Thanks, Rachel. Appreciate the lights. Um, so let's move on to Lori Pingle. Uh, Lori's the owner of Zip Zone Outdoor Adventures in Ohio. Um, Lori, you said by far biggest challenge was staffing. Um, so tell us how you started the season and why things um, got challenging and continue to be challenging. Yeah, well, we're, um, we're a tour in Columbus, Ohio. So we're right outside of suburbia. Well, actually, we're kind of surrounded by suburbia, um, just to give a, some context. And we typically have, we're seasonal, so when we open back up at the end of March, we typically have about 80% of our staff return. We typically have enough staff to make it through till May. We do a training like mid-May, and we do another training in August. Um, this year, same thing, we had about 80% people sign on at the start of, Mar start of March. 
And then um, once we kind of checked back in and tried to get some good numbers again, we lost some folks. But for example, for our um, adventure park, we had 14 staff that were like, yep, we want to come back. And I was thinking, oh, wow, this is, we're going to be fully staffed. I hope the guests come out, you know, maybe we need some other tasks for these people. They'll clean the gear, blah, blah, blah. Then after three weeks, I checked back in and the 14 number went down to 10. And I was like, okay, so this was maybe mid-May. Then we, at the end of May, picked a date that we were going to open. I started putting people on our schedule. I said, okay, this is our, our um, staff we call safety day when they come back. We had four. So we went from 14 to 10 to four. And we had about a week before our safety day. And it was just people saying, oh, well, my other job, they need this much time. Somebody else said, oh, I have this full-time job and I don't want to have two different exposures. Um, just legitimate reasons, but just one after another after another. And so we said, oh my gosh, we open in a week, we have four staff. So we just started hiring, we started training, and we really haven't stopped. We have a training going on right now for guides. We operate a zipline tour and an adventure park, which this is a very challenging moment to be doing that because all of our efforts are kind of doubled, um, which some a lot of times things we can use things in both programs, but right now we're, we're having to really have, we have very different protocols for each one just because of social distancing that's inherently in each program. So staffing has been very challenging. I mean, again, like we, we hired one person and they said they were completely available every moment that we're open. I confirmed, oh, you're completely available? Yes, I'm completely, so completely. So this day, from this time to this time, yes. From this time to this time, yes. From this time, and then <laughs> a week after we had him, he goes, so I'm not gonna be able to work after 2.30. Okay, well, okay. Then he said about a week later, you know that guy that just kind of comes in as a sub sometimes, can I do that? And I was like, you know, you, you were gonna be one of my full-time people and within three weeks, he's down to just call me when you need me kind of thing. And so it's, it, it's, it's just nonstop. It's just all of the uncertainty that we all feel. It's like everybody on every level, right? Rachel's like, oh my God. So it's, it's just been endless frustration with that. I mean, we, we had, we had, we had a training of four people and it, it started at nine and at nine 15, there was nobody here. And we had confirmed on the phone with each individual the previous night. So 2020. Is it, 2020. Yeah. And this is unusual just because everybody's got all these personal and professional stresses going on behind the scenes, you know, kids that aren't in programs because things are closed and yeah and you said that that um you are definitely taking on a daily role of being out on the course and being general manager on the course in a role you hadn't had to do but you've had to jump back in and that um you're kind of creating that trying to take on most of the harder situations with customers um and i'm sure that takes the toll yeah, it's it's been physically exhausting. I'm I'm not my 25 year old self anymore. So, um, you know, to to manage all the stress every day, like making sure everybody shows up, and then we we've had days where, you know, somebody's texting me at six o'clock in the morning that their apartment flooded, of course, because 2020, and then um, this person has a fever, that person has a sore throat, and all of a sudden we're down three people. Three people is a lot of people. So then we have to shift and figure out how we're going to do it. And it ends up with me being in gear out, helping out in the adventure park for three hours in the middle of a Saturday. 
So um, on Sunday, we had somebody who had a fever. So I came out an hour early and I ran a zipline tour. So I've been running tours in like five years. So um, it's been fun. I mean, it's it, it, looking at what a takeaway is though, is I think that there's a ton of value in somebody at my level in the company getting out there and being in the adventure park for three hours and watching what the staff are actually doing. I actually had a blast on the radio just going, Grant, is that your phone? <laughs> so, you know, th there was a lot of stuff that I got to do and guiding tours again and chatting with guests. And you do get to unplug for two hours and go out there and be with, with guests. And it's all stuff that I do not want to do. But being forced into it has given me a new perspective. And I get to have some camaraderie with staff that I don't always get to have. And um, I, it's actually also really fun because I don't, I, fun for the staff because I don't take the tips like if we get cash tips I'm like hey thanks you did a great job today and give it to my other guide um so they all love guiding with me so that's kind of nice like bribing them I guess but so now, that that's that's been a great perspective to to kind of get back in the trenches with everybody and what's your capacity been what do you what have you been operating at well um our adventure park has been at about 50 percent but it's mostly because we aren't operating seven days a week like we typically would um, again, we've had staffing issues. We just can't run these people seven days. Um, but then also at the start, we had some limitations with cleaning and with gear drying and we quarantined gear. So Adventure Park's at about 50%. Zip Tour, honestly, I'm not even going to crunch the numbers because we've been so limited on staff. Um, like, you know, we, we often would run, like Rachel said, 15 to 16 Zip Tours on a Saturday and we're mostly running six. So it's just a matter of staffing. And then a lot of our staff just went to college. So um, what, what is sort of fascinating is that even at 50% of what we are offering for the Adventure Park, um, our numbers were down by 27% in July from last compared to last July. So even with only putting 50% out there, we're, we're getting some good numbers back. And we have been full pretty much every Saturday um, in the Adventure Park. We're selling out a few days in advance with advanced bookings. So um, and turning people away. And unfortunately, when I look at how, how can we do more numbers, it's all just a strain on the staff and we just don't have the staffing. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I mean, that, that's, you must've been kicking some butt to pull off only being down that mount, but being 50% off capacity. And, you know, and I know groups were huge for you uh, midweek and that's dried up. So you've definitely found ways to fight back. So um, yeah, congratulations. Thanks. Um, and then one of the wins you said was um, gloves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, being, being again in like a sort of urban slash suburban market, um, you know, th we, we don't feel like there's a big room for markups. People complain when there's a booking fee and stuff like that. They're not on vacation. They don't have their wallets open. So I was pretty concerned about a $5 fee, but I actually put that on there well back in April you know, we, we kept, we had some of our reservations available for later in the season. And I thought, you know what, I don't know what's going to happen with gloves, but we can't do reusable gloves. We'll just charge them $5. I'll find a $5 glove, not a big deal. But at the end of the day, I found a glove that averaged out to be about $1.70 per glove, but I already had that $5 fee on there. So I just left it on. Um, people love the gloves are much more form fitting than the gloves we were using last year. We actually had the, the gloves we had last year were, a, were um, a partial finger glove, and this is a full finger glove. We're handing out fewer Band-Aids. We have fewer injuries on people's hands. People love the gloves. They're like, oh, I get to keep these. That's great. Most people don't even notice the $5 fee. 
Um, so we're really happy with it. We, I doubt we'll go back to it. We get the gloves on Amazon Prime. So if we run in low, I just Amazon Prime it. So it's really fast. Um, so that, that has definitely been a win rather than, I mean, I've at times brought home the gloves and washed them in my washing machine at home. I don't really ever want to do that again. So um, I think that that has just been a win all around. Good. Um, well, thanks, Lori. We're going to, uh, Mike, come back, um, but let's, so we can get to the other panelists here. So thanks so much, Lori. Um, we're going to go to uh, John Hines now. Um, John, you are uh, the owner of the Adventure Park at Sandy Springs in Maryland. Um, and you shared um, great organized notes. So I didn't want to get in the middle of those. If you could just recap those, I think um, that there's a lot of great information in those. So to do that, and then we'll have some questions for you after. Sure, sure. Um, uh, you know, call it, kind of following the outline you, you sent around to us, um, uh, summer camp, uh, uh, summer re uh, recap, the big thing that, that uh, impacted us, um, you know, immediately was that all of our summer camps uh, bailed on us. And summer camps for us uh, represent about 40% of all of our activity during, the, the, during that sort of critical 10 weeks of the summer where, where the summer camps operate. Um, some of them did come back. There are a couple of these uh, sort of homeless summer camps, you know, uh, summer camps that don't have a facility. They're, 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 they're by nature, they go someplace else in a bus every day. And, and two of those did come back to us, but it still was very minor. But the interesting thing is that our weekday general admission is, has been higher um, all throughout July and August than it has ever been before. And I attribute that to, you know, staycations and the fact that most of the summer camps uh, aren't operating. Uh, and, um, and you've got a lot of parents who are working at home and, uh, and, and somebody needs to get out of the house. So our weekday business has been very strong. Um, uh, our weekend business, uh, I'm selling every, everything that I can um, uh, provide, every, every reservation spot. Um, you know, I've sort of restricted what we're doing to about 30% of, uh, of what our true capacity is. In the past, we used to run what we call our funnel size of 17 climbers every 10 minutes. Now we're doing six every 10 minutes, but that allows us to have a family get out of their car and walk down and come through registration and, and worst case, they're sharing a, a briefing in a large briefing area where one family's sitting over there and one family sitting over there. And then once they get out on a course, it's all kind of socially distanced anyways. So, um, you know, where I used to have Saturdays with eight to 900 people, now I've got Saturdays with 300 to 350 people. Um, uh, but I sell every one of them out. So I raise my prices on the week from Friday through Sunday. Um, and nobody blinked when I raised my prices. So I may raise my prices again going into the fall. Um, the, uh, there have been some real silver, silver linings for us. Um, uh, last year, we were operating with uh, five different cash drawers uh, for the store, for registration, for the food truck. Uh, now I've got no cash. Oh my gosh, the hours that that has saved and the headaches that has saved, and we will never take cash again. We're done. <laughs> uh, bring, 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 bring your electronic payment or bring your credit card. Yeah. Um, 
community gloves. Um, we'll never go back to community gloves again. Uh, we found a, a very, very workable, uh, inexpensive glove um, that we provide uh, our guests for free. Uh, and, and I sort of soft sell in my marketing materials that those gloves are free. You kind of got to go look for it to find it's free. But when you go through the, the registration process, the, um, uh, the booking process, I have an upsell for a couple of different types of gloves. The net effect of that is I'm selling four times more gloves than I sold last year and more than making up for the cost of the free gloves that I'm giving to the people who don't buy gloves everybody's glove happy and my bottom line has improved as a result of it. Um, so that's been an interesting one. Um, I think the thing that has startled me um, and still strikes me every single day I come here to the park is that the diversity of my customer base has profoundly changed. You know, the Washington, I, I'm in Montgomery County, just north of Washington, D.C., uh, uh, as a crow flies literally halfway between Baltimore and Washington. Demographically, the Baltimore-Washington metro area kind of looks like America in terms of, uh, of race and religion. Uh, uh, but my adventure park did not look like that last year. Um, this year, uh, it does and then some. Uh, the, 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 the diversity that has has found the park uh, this year has just blown me away. Um, and, and so much of it is being just driven by positive word of mouth. Um, uh, you know, it's not like I'm doing anything in particular to, to market into, uh, into those diverse communities. Um, in fact, I'm doing only one-tenth of the marketing that I did last year um, uh, in, in all levels. Um, so that, that's, that's, been a fascinating thing. Um, the other thing that that I'm continuing to sort of wrestle with is the the guest feedback about how wonderful the park is when it's not crowded, uh, and which is I think one of the reasons I was able to raise my prices uh, on the weekend because it's not crowded. And we've had several guests even say, "Why don't you just?" never go back to there and why don't you just raise your prices more and just always have a park where it's always peaceful and never crowded so who knows <laughs> something to think about um one of the things uh, olivia you had asked about was um the whole enforcement issue around masks and and whatnot we took a real proactive approach on that one um uh, through email in our in in our web on our website with a video uh, in our booking engine with a video uh, where I kind of lay it out politely that this is my commitment to my staff and their families and if you want to come to my park you got to play by my rules and my rules say if you're on the ground your mask is on uh, and you know you're going to do the social distancing and everything else we've had thousands of customers over the last ten weeks and I've only had to ask three to go home because they didn't want to play, play by my rules. Um, we've been really quite pleased with it. Now, it's annoying as hell every day you have to say to 100 people, please put up your mask, because they forget. They come off a course, they forget to put it back up, they drink some water, they forget to put it back up. They're not being malicious, they're not, being, uh, they're, they're not trying to break the rules, they just forget. Um, 
Uh, so it, it does get annoying. And, you know, we're, we just had a meeting earlier today where we're going to put up even more signs and even more places to remind people. Um, but, uh, uh, but for the most part, I think the reason I'm selling out all my spots is because I am very upfront and candid about we take this seriously and we're, and we're seriously trying to do it right. And, and that's attracting people. The number of customers I have, even, even this past weekend, who had registration desks said, um, uh, you know, this is the first thing we've done since March. And it's your video that got us to do it. You know, I'm not, so I, you know, I sometimes, I don't even know there was a conscious, conscious decision, but I made the decision, we're not going to shrink from this challenge. We're going to, we're going to put it out there. This is what we're doing and this is how we're doing it. And people seem to really respond to it well. And, you know, we're not, there are, there are other businesses that try and act like it's not happening. Uh, and well, it is. And if you got, if you're going to trust people to come out to do this kind of stuff, um, I think, I think it's real beneficial to, to be uh, repetitively upfront about how serious you take it. Yeah. Take us with your thoughts on, on the what's next piece. Um, <laughs> what's next? Yeah, um, fall's gonna be different. Uh, in this area, most of the public schools have gone all virtual uh, through, um, uh, through January. Um, and uh, that, you know, we already, we already knew months ago that there would be no fall field trips from schools um, because they're not going to have the class time, you know, out of class time or the budget. Um, but with everybody being uh, going virtual in our community, and we're and we're not a tourist destination park. You know, ninety-five percent of the people who come to my park live within a forty-five minute drive of the park. So uh, we're we're now marketing to uh, we're going to stay open for general admission on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And we're um, specifically marketing to families to, you know, come on out and, and, and do this work play adventure. Take a picnic table. I've cranked up the Wi-Fi. I'm putting electric down to all my picnic tables. Come and have your damn Zoom call at my picnic table, my socially distanced outdoor workspace. And, and let your kids go climb in a park. Or sit your kids at the picnic table, make them do their homework, and you go climb in a park. Um, you know, we'll see if it works. Don't know. You know, ask me in two weeks. Um, and we're going to keep our food truck open uh, in the evenings because we're, we're we did a, we surveyed a bunch of people, a bunch of customers, um, and you know the opening at noon and staying open until eight o'clock seemed like the way to go. Uh, and, it, and, it, and if you have an adventure park, you know that the dinner hour is always a bugaboo. There's this un you know this unmistakable dip uh, because people either need to eat before they come or after they come. Uh, well, if you have food on site, we hope uh, that that'll help address that dip um so we'll see but you know the the uh the big challenge uh is you know is mother nature going to cooperate are are these are these uh different ways of doing business uh uh over the over the fall you know are we going to be able to put away enough acorns to make it make it through the to next spring that's i think that's the challenge most of us are facing and uh you know mother nature uh kicked us hard with COVID, hopefully Mother Nature will give us a nice, nice weather for the fall and, and give us some chance to, to, uh, to reclaim some of the business. Yeah. 
John, um, you said that there's, you've had a lot of new people showing up. Um, how have they been finding you? Has it, has it been your brilliant, if limited marketing, or are they just finding you through Google searches? How, how are you getting this, this crowd? Yeah, it's, it's, um, they're doing Google searches, literally searching for what the hell is open. Um, <laughs> and, and, and lots of good word of mouth. Um, uh, the, um, the, the, the diversity that we're getting, and I can see threads of uh, religious communities uh, through, through these different diverse populations that are coming in. Um, where people, you know, and I ask people, how'd you hear about us? Well, somebody in my church group, how'd you hear about it? Well, you know, uh, one of her uh, said, came to a birthday party here last year and they said great things about it. You know, there's, you know, I'm not doing anything specific. It's not like I changed any of my, um, uh, my search parameters or, you know, or, or what words I'm paying for or anything like that. Um, but I think people are, I think people are desperate for something to do. I think many of the traditional top five things a person does, if they weren't an adventure park goer, you take away the top five things that they do for exercise and entertainment outdoors, and they're not allowed to do them because they're closed uh, or um, uh, too restricted, they start looking for other things to do. And, and here we are. Are you gonna track um the, the, do you have a way to track and follow up and pull them into your fall offerings or next year to create, are you creating a, a database and a way to follow up with these folks? That, that, that is an interesting question. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have a database to, to follow up with everybody who has come to the park. Um, uh, but, uh, and, and, you know, in, in my prior life, before I found myself in the adventure industry, I was, uh, I was in a political environment and then a direct mail environment. And I have a, a, a constitutional dis hatred of asking anybody their race, creed, color, gender. I no, I don't want to know. I don't give a crap. And I'm willing to sacrifice all the marketing pieces that go along with not knowing that. But I will tell you, Olivia, desperately, I really wish I, knew, I had stats on that right now yeah. because, uh, because something is happening that is profound and I love data and I would love to be able to dig into it. But no, I'm not going to ask and I'm not going to have tech marks and try and keep track. Yeah. But John, I, I think that was really great insights and very, very helpful. So thank you so much. Um, we're gonna move on to Nick Thompson, um, who's the owner of Climeworks and um, operates several parks in the Gatlinburg area as well as Hawaii. So Nick, take us, just tell us what you've got going in Gatlinburg and what's in Hawaii and, and catch us up to date with what's going on in each area. We've had, yeah, we've had pretty much every spectrum, I guess, from what everybody's been talking about here today. Um, our Smoky Mountain location, we have our Climeworks offering, which is, we have two zipline tours there. Uh, we have, um, we also have a lumberjack themed adventure park uh, with a show, with an outdoor show. And then we, and then as a owner of partner locations, and then we, uh, and we're partnering with Anakista. It's an, it's an outdoor kind of theme park up on top of a mountain. And the Smoky Mountains is kind of like the other, uh, like Kurt and some of the other people have talked about the drive to destinations. It came back in full force for us. Um, Obviously, we were closed March, April, May. But when you when you look at our and we had to 
on our on our treetop course in uh, in Gatlinburg, we had to we closed that because of social distancing. It was smaller platforms or anything else, but we kept open our dual line uh, zipline tour, and and we just cinched down our gaps in between tours and tried to accommodate the additional um, additional numbers. And and those all those locations there in Smokies really really thrived. We uh, we weren't uh, a real heavy heavily hit um, COVID area. And uh, it obviously it increased when tourism came in, but it didn't uh, in- increase you know, much until towards the end of that. And so that, those, those locations did really well. So we had the, like similar issues, Lori, the staffing was always the, the bigger part of that, uh, was how do you keep up staff with all, with all that. Um, but then you go over to Hawaii and we had the exact opposite. So where we, well, we actually saw increased numbers in our summer, summer numbers in, in, in all of the three of our attractions in Smokies. Um, Hawaii, we saw 70, I mean, we're, we're on track to probably do us, I mean, 70% less than what we saw mm-hmm. in, in 2019. And the main reason for that is we've been closed since March. Uh, I mean, not closed completely. We, that they've, it's been closed to outside, um, outside travelers, that's the Hawaiian islands in general. And so we had to really kind of figure out, we have a good core team there that we had to make some decisions of how we're going to keep these, you know, people part of our team and take care of them. And so, we had to make a decision of how we were going to do it. So we decided to stay when, when we were allowed to open again locally in June, we opened, we opened locally. Uh, we slashed our prices by half. We, uh, we, and we, and we kind of changed our whole marketing structure. Our marketing budget was down to nothing, but we, we kind of thought differently of how we were going to do it. And we started using radio. We started using, um, reaching out more to the military at Oahu where we're located is more of an active military uh, base. And, and with that, and then, and then changing our schedule. We saw really quickly after we did that, that we started seeing some people coming in, um, but they would come in on Saturdays or they'd come in on after work times. And so before that, our schedule was always missing those times. So we adjust our schedule. We're closed on Sundays at our climax location, so we didn't get to see the benefits of, of the Sunday, but our Saturdays were always really, uh, been really busy. And, uh, and that, that really kind of helped sustain us. And we weren't really trying at this point in Hawaii to make a profit. <laughs> We were trying to just take care of our core team. We had a we had a, a, a solid group of people there that we really wanted to make sure um, they were taken care of, and so that's what really that became. Is just how do we kind of take care of them, keep them employed, uh, try to try to cut down on some of those expenses, and so that's kind of in the case. Um, nothing's really changed there as of right now. We're still not there's not allowing travelers. We we kind of assume that won't, that'll extend till the end of the year, and we'll see where things go, but. But our Smoky Mountain location, um, it was, it was, it was, the, it was the same. I think that others have repeated. It was drive to destinations seem to be a little more. It's what people are looking for right now. I mean, I know, I know my 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 family personally. We're, you know, we don't we're not looking to fly places. We're looking to drive places. And the Smoky Mountain area is a really drive to destination. And so we saw um, so some great things happen. The, the staffing issues here were this is such a high concentrated tourist seasonal um, destination that. A lot of the um, J ones, the foreign, uh, the foreign staffing um, that people brought in for seasonal seasonal time, that wasn't an option to a lot of the larger employers, and so staffing just kind of cinched, you know, cinched up everywhere. And and we saw it was it was interesting to see in our area we have Dollywood and we have some of the larger theme parks, and those really had had some struggles. You know, those weren't you know, and I think I think it just showed us that people were looking for the smaller group. Um, the outdoor activity, the kind of a little bit more of our experience. And I think that's been through our industry is if, if, uh, if you're in an area where the cases are, are, are more mild and you're a drive to destination, 
that you're seeing that uh, you're seeing people looking actively looking for for uh, for those for those types of activities. So if we took out March, April, May, and are smoking out in locations consistently, we we were growing by at least twelve about twelve percent for the summer months. Wow. And what's as your capacity at those places in Gatlinburg? Were you restricted? What, what was your? We were uh, restricted in, at, at the beginning. It kind of became less restricted as, um, as as mandates kind of mellowed out. But we were restricted mostly by staffing. So our adventure park, uh, that one, we had to get creative. Which one thing we learned from the from our adventure park there is when we first started, we were really limited on how, on what, how many people we could see capacity wise. Mm-hmm. And so we actually went. A really different model. We tried it out as a tour-style um, adventure park model, where we we had just two guides take them around to everything that we were doing, and it was a way that we could still run all the different activities at a low staff. The benefits of it that location had only opened up in September last year, uh, that lumberjack um, adventure park, mm-hmm. and so we saw a lot of benefits. And people really liked that experience. People really liked the guided guided experience. It obviously wasn't really we weren't able to keep it on when, when the, when the throughput started coming through, but we were able to, but it was, it did help. It got us great reviews. It got, it, people really liked it. And so it, it showed us another way we can run the adventure park in maybe other seasonal times when it's lower staffing times or slower times, we can go to a more of a guided experience on our adventure park and we could still run that way and we can still see pretty good numbers. And so that was a, that was one takeaway that I would, I would say we would, we, we now would probably implement in some slower times um, that we never would have thought of necessarily before but it seemed to be a hands-on way that people really liked. How, how was, uh, there's a question here about has the equipment management um, been a hassle considering disinfection and the turnarounds and all of that? Has that been, have you got that down to a? Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, that was a big part. I mean, really just, it was keeping up with it, trying to get more gear so we could keep, um, so we didn't have to rotate so quickly. Um, and then we were doing a diluted, um, uh, diluted cleaning on all of our all of our harnesses and spraying them and um, and wiping them down in between and and then letting them sit and so that was they did get difficult when we when we started seeing numbers that we weren't expecting and so it was trying to get new you know gear as quick as we could and keep up with that to have a higher you know just just to replace our gear have more on hand and what was the mask enforcement down in your area like was that is it we definitely at our locations obviously all of our staff everybody was um, obviously wearing that um, it wasn't. It wasn't until about midsummer that they started doing more of a mandate, and we appreciated that. There was, I mean, we still kept our group small, but um, it was nice when people did mandate it. It was more of a mandated thing, and then we and people would then start generally wearing masks to our to our activities, and that was that was helpful. I think it, it just it brought it a more conscious conscious group to the to our locations, and it seemed to be everybody appreciated the efforts. So while we were all the things we were doing might have hindered them a little bit. They seem to appreciate. They everybody seemed to be appreciative of it. And they, and, they didn't seem to mess up the experience. And what do you think? Um, what lies ahead? You know, nobody can really say for sure. But what are your feelings about 2021? Are we going to be looking like we are right now, heading into the spring? Do you feel like, as a business, how are you taking those pieces and figuring out what you need to carry forward? Um, like, have you started to think along those lines or? Yeah. I mean, one thing that we're seeing right now is just because a lot of uh, people are not going back to school right away or they're doing online schooling, our August seems to be extending longer than typical. Yeah. Uh, so that's already been, um, been interesting. And, and we, we don't know that long, how long that's going to last, but 
so far it seems to be or we're not dropping off as fast as we were before. I think the one thing that we've noticed now is that if we are good stewards of what we do and show and, and, and tell people that we're doing that to make sure we're a safe activity for them, I obviously don't see this COVID situation leaving us, you know, in, you know, before, you know, it still, still be around in 2020 or 2021. And so what we've seen now is that we have an, we have an activity that people do feel safe doing and that as, and as the, there's more awareness and more education on the virus and how to, how to be careful and how to do those things. If we, as long as they, if we show a responsibility that we're going to enact those, those policies, mm-hmm. there's people now looking for it. And so I think 2021 in some, I mean, in some ways we'll, we'll probably look pretty good. And we, we feel like in, in our, in our, in our, our realm, because it's open and maybe people that weren't looking for outdoor, outdoor activities to start looking and to start, uh, to start seeing that. So we're hopeful, but we're, we're also limited by restrictions too. I mean, Hawaii, we can't do much about until, until that something like that is, um, is changed, but we also understand the reasoning for it. So uh, we th- we're pretty hopeful for 2021, um, and we and we feel like now we've diversified as a company because we realize this this kind of hit us pretty, you know, it kind of came quick, and and we realized, man, okay, we need to think about what else we can do. I have a core team of people that I really want to make sure I can take care of, and so we've diversified our efforts in some other parts of our business, our business to keep to keep them going, and and it really made us really look at every part of our business. I know that sometimes you just don't you don't look at everything as closely until you have something like this happen. And it made you think about your staffing, who really you are, your, are your great ones that you really want to take care of and how can you make sure to take care of them during a crisis like this? Uh, what are some expenses that were maybe nonsense before that you didn't, that you didn't really pay attention to that you were spending that now you can, now you've looked at each, each individual dollar and made sure that it's worth it. And we were able to drop down our marketing budget significantly and still see a growth. And it was just being a little better directed and, and really looking at things a little more intensely. Great. Thanks, Nick. Those are super helpful uh, and, and good insights um, from you. So I appreciate that. And I, I, I agree with a bunch of you who have said this whole, all these schools going online, and I think more are going to turn online if they haven't, because um, cases will break out when school goes hybrid. And, um, and, you know, and I'm part of I've been following the pandemic pod Facebook groups. I'm actually in a little pandemic pod with a bunch of parents here. And there's a flurry of desire to find enriching activities for these kids that's outside spaces. And so we've been hearing operators are getting curriculums together and actively going out and capturing this kind of fall market and where there isn't, you know, a, a school day anymore. You can kind of fill those, those, midweek sessions and create something that they can come and do. So um, we're, we're definitely hearing a lot about that in, from operators um, all over. So getting creative. So, um, that, that seems a possible silver line. There are silver linings to every storm as the panelists shared today. We'll be looking at these opportunities and more on future huddles. To join the huddle conversation, email huddle at adventureparkinsider.com. We hope that these huddles and the other resources developed by SAM and Adventure Park Insider magazines to assist during this crisis have helped you all stay connected, informed, and to navigate these challenging times. If they have, consider supporting us as a vital source of information. Learn more at www.saminfo.com and www.adventureparkinsider.com.
Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The pod team advisor is Alice Kaufman, the Wintry Mix podcast guy. I am Sarah Bordeaux, and thank you for listening to Pod Sam.